Welcome to Ascend and Transcend. I'm your coach, Elizabeth, and today's guest is author Joey Coleman. His book, Never Lose a Customer Again, is something that I feel like I got so much value out of reading and listening to, and he spills it all on today's episode. We talk about not only how to not lose customers if you're in business, but also key relationships, employees. We really kind of run the gamut on how to retain key important relationships in your life. And he was such a pleasure to speak with, and he just gives so much incredible insight on today's episode. Have a listen and get your notebook ready because he's got lots of tips. Well, first of all, Elizabeth, I so appreciate the invitation to be on the show. I am beyond excited. And thanks to everyone as well who's listening in today. Super thrilled to have you be part of our conversation too. You know, it's interesting. I was running an ad agency and my job was to drive as many new customers to my clients that I was representing as possible. And what I found over the couple of years is that we were really good at driving new customers. But for some reason, my clients weren't able to retain them. And while they weren't complaining about this, I was frustrated by this. Because if they were going to spend so much time, effort, and money on new customer acquisition, but not be able to retain and serve those customers over the long term, it felt like a waste of their efforts. And so that led me on a journey to figure out how many customers leave, why do they leave, And what could we do to convince them to stay? And the results of my research, Elizabeth, were astounding. I learned that somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with an organization before they reach the 100-day anniversary. What was more staggering than that, I learned that most businesses had no idea what their percentage was. So they had people running out the back door as quickly as they were bringing them in the front door, and they didn't understand why. I then was able with my clients to sort of create a little laboratory where we would test ideas and strategies for increasing engagement and retention with our existing customers. And we found that if we focused on those first 100 days and we led them through a successful onboarding process, If on day 101, the customer felt excited, they felt connected, they enjoyed the fact that they were doing business with this organization, in the typical organization, they would stay for five years. Now, I don't know about you, Elizabeth, but that seemed to be a really good return on investment for me. I started consulting on it. I started speaking on it. And eventually, it led to my book, Never Lose a Customer Again. Wow. And it's so good. And I think, too, for listeners, you might think, well, I'm not in that same space, right? Or I'm not an entrepreneur and I don't have customers. But I think that that isn't really accurate because it's like somebody saying, I'm not in sales. We actually are. Every single one of us are in sales and every single one of us has, quote unquote, customers every day, do we not? Absolutely. You know, my good friend James Altucher uh, states it as everyone has 11 bosses, right? <laughs> and he's, he's figured out, you know, you have you, the person that you report to at work. You have the person that is the boss or the leader of that person. You have the customers you serve. You have your coworkers and your colleagues who you might be responsible creating things for. You have your spouse or significant other. You might have children. You have friends. You've got lots of people who you're responsible for delivering the remarkable experience. Experience 
that keeps them wanting to interact and have a relationship with you. Yeah. So I would posit that this, this methodology, this philosophy, this way of doing business applies to you if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, but it applies to you more importantly, if you're a human. Right. If you're a human being and you want to deepen your relationships and your connections with the other human beings you interact with, you can follow this process and methodology and achieve those goals. Yeah, I love it. And you know, the book is so great. I I told him I already listened to it twice. I love to listen to it on my morning walks. I do a three and a half mile walk to Starbucks every morning and audibles are, you know, my drug of choice as I'm walking to get my caffeine. And the, <laughs> I love the it. chapter that really stood out to me that kind of lingers is the one that you did on gifting. And then he refers to Giftology, which is another amazing book. And then that led me to listen to that book and just implementing some of the the tips and the takeaways from that chapter, Joey, have been huge. You know, I think that a lot of times people think, oh, I'm not going to send somebody a gift and it doesn't have to be big and expensive, but I think it really still does make a huge impact, does it not? Oh, it absolutely does. You know, Giftology written by my good friend, John Rulin, who's actually a case study in my book as well. Yeah. And ironically enough, I'm a case study in his book. We've <laughs> I know. been friends for years so before either of us wrote our books. Um, I agree, you know, and, and John is the master of this. He refers to it as strategic appreciation. How are you showing the people that you do business with, the people that matter most in your life, that you appreciate their ongoing relationship with you? You know, a lot of businesses say, well, we give them, you know, a little discount on their future purchase with us. Well, great. That's a prize for you. Right. Stop and think about that. When you offer someone a coupon for future business or a discount off future business, they have to spend money with you in yeah. order to experience the benefit of that gift. Imagine sitting on your birthday or Christmas morning or one of the nights of Hanukkah or whatever holiday you were celebrating and you find yourself in a conversation with a loved one who says, here's a gift for you. If you go to the store <laughs> and buy that thing you want, I will pay for 10% of it. That, that's ridiculous. It's laughable. We would never even dream of treating our loved ones that way. To take it one step further, lots of organizations think that giving a gift means giving the person something that they don't want or already have enough of, but putting your logo on it to really show <laughs> that you care. Oh my God. You the know, branded just, mug. I know. Crazy. Yeah. I know. The, t the hats and, and the sweatshirts. And I, it's terrible. Exactly. And I understand the intention behind it. I understand that the intention is to show appreciation. The problem is the execution yeah. of that gift giving. The yeah. execution says, I want you to be a walking billboard for me. It doesn't right. say I care about you. Again, think to that scenario where you're with your loved ones and maybe you open a gift and it's from your grandmother and it's a knitted sweater with her name on it. <laughs> You are right. not going to wear that sweater. You love your Nana, but you are not going to walk around town wearing a Grandma Geneva sweatshirt, right? That's right. just not going to happen. And yet that's what so many businesses do. Immediately when somebody becomes a customer, let's send them a mug. Let's send them a t-shirt. Let's, oh, let's really invest and send them a hoodie or a polo. It's like, right. I don't want to be a billboard for you. Yeah. And the I secret think is to know enough about your customer that you can give them a present or a gift that says, I was listening 
I was paying attention. I took the time to investigate and to figure out what matters to you and then give a gift without putting your name on it. And if it's a good enough gift, if it's a thoughtful enough gift, they won't need to have your name on it because they will remember who gave it to them. I love to give Oracle decks to my clients. You know, I feel like it's a way that they can communicate with their guides and ancestors. And, you know, I, and I think that that is maybe they weren't totally ready for it. (laughs) Sometimes they don't even know what it is, but it's a, it's a key piece of the process of coaching that I do with them. So, but after reading your book, I had never done that before. Um, But after you know, reading your book, now I send these little care packages and it does, it has books that are meaningful. I think that are going to help them along their journey, not mine, nothing branded, Oracle decks, you know, meditation aids, things like that. So I think that you can do it in a way too, where it might kind of indiscriminately serve you like, okay, I would love for you to meditate more. So here's this kind of stuff, but it doesn't have to be to your point, anything branded. And honestly, I think the wrong gift can actually incredibly backfire. You know, you talk about Christmas or something, and I I don't know why gifting is a trigger for me. When somebody gets me something that isn't in alignment with me, it makes me really question my relationship with them. I think, God, you don't know me at all. Like that. And I get really upset. I'd rather have no gifts. So even with my sweet husband. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think there's two pieces of that. Number one, when someone gives you a gift that isn't an in alignment with your values or your beliefs or your outlook on life, it damages the relationship. There's also another version when someone gives you a gift that isn't commensurate with the depth of the relationship. Quick story. One of my clients referred a piece of business to one of his vendors that resulted in a $1 million contract within two weeks of the referral. I mean, this is every business's dream, right? To get a referral from one of your existing people in your relationship that quickly and effectively and efficiently leads to gigantic revenue, right? They sent him a Starbucks gift card for $5. No, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. And here's the kicker. They would have been better served to not send anything than to send such a reduced value gift. Because you mentioned walking to Starbucks, and this isn't a criticism of Starbucks, but let's be honest, folks. If you're using a $5 gift card, you're going to have to pay a little extra on top of that to buy whatever you want. You're not getting anything for under $5 at Starbucks. They didn't even buy you one coffee. Exactly. I know. Again, it's it's almost like, hey, we're giving you this gift that is partial payment for this other thing that you may or may not even like. Personally, I don't even drink coffee. Now, I recognize there are other things I could get at Starbucks, and I do from time to time, but it says... I don't know you. I don't care about this relationship. We just have a rote policy in our business to always send gift cards in a nominal amount for any referral. Don't do that. That's a disaster. I've got, I've been the recipient of a $5 gift card before for doing a massive favor for somebody else. And I... It, it absolutely damaged the friendship. I was like, are you effing kidding me? $5? Like, and I know this person and he could have put up, you know, a hundred, break off a hundred, you know, do something. Like, I think to your point, if I really had to boil down Joey's book from what I took away from Never Lose a Customer Again, it's like that extra mile is never crowded, right? Everybody says that, but nobody does it. Even with 
clients I have who interview and maybe they get to the final round and then they don't get the offer and they're like, in their mind, they're done with it. The door's closed. And I'm like, nope, you need to go on LinkedIn and write every person you interviewed with a recommendation. And then I would write them handwritten notes. Like you never know what's going to happen there. But I guarantee the other candidates who didn't get the offers are probably sulking and have written them off and are not going to continue to nurture that relationship. And it's such a missed opportunity. Elizabeth, I couldn't agree more. Two points to that, if I may. Number one, when we're talking about gifts and presents and acknowledgement, it's not about the amount of money you spend. Someone might be listening to this and hear that $5 gift card and go, oh, well, I needed to give a $100 gift card or a $500 gift card. Not at all. Think about everyone who's listening. Let's take a second. Think about the best gift you ever received from someone. Could have been a birthday gift, an anniversary gift, an unexpected gift from a friend or a colleague or a loved one. Think about that gift. Now associate a dollar amount with that gift, what you think it costs that person to purchase that gift or make that gift or share that gift. I've done this exercises with audiences around the world. And what we have found is universally those favorite gifts costs less than $50 and almost always costs less than $20. It's not about the value of the gift. It's about the experience, the depth of understanding, the depth of familiarity that comes from receiving that gift. When you say, oh my gosh, they really know me or, oh, they really care. And to your point about folks interviewing for jobs, I'm, I'm in the process of working on my next book, which is going to be called Never Lose an Employee Again. And in doing the research for this book, what I have found is that the number of candidates who follow up with employers where they didn't get the job is abysmally low. Now, not to put it all on the candidate, to be clear, the number of employers who don't extend the offer to the candidate, but never tell them that they've gone in another direction. Or they send some boilerplate language contract that's, or, you know, letter that's just, you know, devoid of any you know, feeling mm -hmm. or emotion that basically just says, hey, thanks for interviewing with us. You didn't get the job. Best of luck in your future endeavors. The lack of honoring of the relationship that has been built during the recruiting process by both parties, the employee and the potential employer, is a staggering missed opportunity. I agree with you 100%, Elizabeth. If you are a candidate who doesn't get the job, go above and beyond to thank those folks for the job, to thank them for the interviews, to write reviews, to stay in contact, because we know statistically that a significant percentage of newly hired employees don't work out. They, they get the job offer maybe ahead of you. Oh my gosh, it's staggering. In fact, let me give you the, the statistic that has probably been the, the most eye-opening and shocking to me in all the research I've done for this book. When companies make an offer to an employee and the employee shows up for their first day on the job, 4% of those employees don't come back the second day. Now, some of you may be saying, well, Joey, that's such a small number. Oh, my gosh, that is a staggeringly high number when you think of all the people starting new jobs in the world every day. Four percent of them are going to go on day one and not come back for day two. This is devastating. Now, let's extrapolate it one step further. If you're applying for a job 
and you hit the lottery that one of the 4% of people that are going to quit was the person who got the job ahead of you. And you've gone out of your way to write thank you notes and be in communication and say, hey, even being as explicit to say, I'm sure you found a candidate that you were really excited about. Please know that if that doesn't work out the way that you hoped, I would love to re-engage this conversation. That is going to be sitting in their mind on day two when the employee doesn't show up and they go, oh my gosh, we made the wrong choice. We have to start all over again. Someone on that team is going to say, we don't have to start all over again. Let's contact Elizabeth because she sent us the thank you note. She reached out. She said she actually predicted this very scenario we find ourselves in. That's how you professionally search for a job and build your network at the same time. I totally agree. And I mean, even like there's 30, 60, 90 days of evaluation sometimes too. So even if that new hire makes it to the 90th day, you know, I had a job where I got axed on day 90, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh man, I didn't even know, you know, and it was always, it always is a blessing. So it was an, an incredible blessing early in my career. But so even, you know, even if they don't, even if they show up for day two, they may not make it past day 90. And so if you keep engaging with them on LinkedIn and commenting on posts and, you know, just, and you never know where those hiring managers are going to go. They could be at a company that universally your spirit wasn't in alignment with. Maybe it just wasn't going to be a fit, right? Rejection is protection. And then that person six months later goes to a company that is like your dream company. And then they remember you. Like, I just think that to do all of that upfront work of interviewing and researching and then to just let it go and not really like, you know, run through the tape, as they say, like, keep it going. You already made that upfront investment. It takes very little effort to maintain it once it's been established, but you do have to try. Elizabeth, this is so true. In fact, if I may offer a suggestion of how to do this. So you apply for the job. You don't get the job. You send the message back to the person saying, oh, thank you for your consideration. By the way, uh, I really loved interviewing with you. I, I still would love to work at the company if anything became available in the future. So please keep me in mind. Then go to your calendar and make an, an, an entry on your calendar for 6 a.m., a hundred days from today. And the reason I say 6 a.m. is put it on the calendar so that it's seen as a priority. And a hundred days from today, send that person a message with a link to an article that you recently read, which is why it's important that you continue to pay attention to your industry and what's going on, or even just a, a link to a favorite book that you might have just completed. Something that is going to speak in a meaningful way to that recipient. You might even know what that article is now and just make a note of which article you want to reference three months from now because nobody cares about whether the article was published this week or six months ago. If it's a valuable, relevant, interesting article, they're going to appreciate you sharing it with them. And then when that 6 a.m. time period comes, I'm not saying you have to do it at 6 a.m., but when you look at the calendar for that day, you go, oh, that's right. I need to send a message to Juanita saying I so appreciate appreciated the opportunity to get to know you during the interview process. I saw this article today and it made me think of you. I hope all is well. And again, if you ever find yourself looking for candidates for a similar position to the one I interviewed with, please don't hesitate to reach out. What that's going to do is 
put you on Juanita's radar. She is going to see that you are not the typical candidate. She's going to see that you're the type of person that follows up, that pays attention, that continues to deliver value, even theoretically, after any benefit that might be coming back to you is going to accrue. Systemize this stuff. You actually can systematize caring. Just use your calendar. It's so true. And I think, you know, just letting them know that you're still you are still thinking about it. And I think that people love flattery too, just about how much you love their brand or how much you really, especially HR is, you know, so overlooked. They are the unsung heroes. And I feel like they're the easiest to really forge deep connections with. And they have a lot of influence, right? Especially when it comes to negotiating comp, things like that, pulling from other budgets. So I think a lot of times people only focus on who's going to be their boss, right? The hiring manager, when the HR person is really the gatekeeper. So it, it can be the person, the people that you interviewed with, but don't forget that person in HR that you did the initial screen with, right? And keep in touch with them. It doesn't have to be just one point of contact, correct? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Lots of times we think that the person we should keep in touch with is the person who finds themselves, for lack of a better way of putting it, at the top of the pyramid. I'm not saying that's really where they are, but we, we have a tendency to think of that. Oh, I need to write to the CEO. How many emails do you think the CEO gets per day? Now stop and think about how much, how many emails the junior recruiting member or contact gets in a day and how much they want to see their career moving forward and how much they want to build their network. I'm a big fan of not chasing the people that are at the top of the pyramid. I'm a big fan of deepening relationships to the people who are on the bottom half of the pyramid climbing into an organization because those folks have somewhere to go and they are looking for folks that understand their way of thinking, that appreciate their value, that see the impact that they can provide. And even as an external prospective candidate, if you let them know they feel seen, the likelihood of them seeing you is much greater. 100%. I mean, and we're talking about, you know, I beat the drum of LinkedIn, you know, ad nauseum to my clients and listeners, but that is a great opportunity to go on LinkedIn and write them a recommendation and say that they were just super buttoned up in the process, you know, and that they were somebody who you really enjoyed interacting with. Things like that are free to your point. And you can put a calendar reminder. I say do it right away, like do it as soon as possible. And then to your point, Joey, follow up again with something additional later. But those are the people, you're, you're right, who are building something and that will actually matter to them versus writing a recommendation for the CEO. A lot of times they're not even you know, keeping up with their profile on LinkedIn because they don't friggin' need to. You know, It's like they're already at the top and they're just going to go be at the top at another company if they ever leave. So there are these little things that you can do, but I think this other piece of intention behind it is huge because if it really is the intention of just, you know, trying to manipulate the system or manipulate somebody into liking you, I think people energetically can feel that. And same with customers. And you hit on that in your book too. You know, you really do have to have this authentic intention for them to get value from your relationship. I totally agree with you, Elizabeth, and I think all of us have had that experience where we've done business with an organization and we felt that as soon as we gave them our hard-earned money, as soon as we said, okay, I'm in, I want to buy your product, I want to sign up for your service, 
it's as if the relationship changed for the worse. Leading into that, all the marketing feels like it's directed towards us. The whining and dining, the, oh, we'd love to have you as a customer. We're, we're so excited to serve you. And then when we finally put our pen to paper, we sign the contract, we enter into the relationship, we transition from being a prospect to a customer. It's as if we have a completely different relationship with the company or the organization or the brand. Usually we get handed off to someone who wasn't involved in any of the leading up sales courting conversations. Usually we have to repeat ourselves about what we're looking for, or we get sent the product uh, and we open it and it's not what we expected, or it requires days of setup when we were promised minutes of setup. You know, the amount of trust that is broken between organizations and their new customers in those first few days of the relationship is staggering. I think a lot of businesses don't realize when they're trying to ask someone to become a customer and they're putting their best foot forward, if you don't continue that connection after the sale has been made, not only do you run the risk of that customer leaving, but more importantly, when that customer leaves, not only are they never coming back, but they're going to tell everyone they know about what a bad experience they had with your brand. Yeah. And that's the same for employers, right? I mean, they court you, maybe you get what you want, and then you start. How many, I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard this from clients too. They're just kind of like thrown in the deep end, even that, you know, maybe that's why people don't come back the second day, but that first week, there's just nobody. Like, and there's months of it where they're just left on their own to figure it out. There is no person holding their hand. There's no training. There's nothing. And I think about all the resources these companies put towards bringing in these new hires, the recruitment costs, all of it. And then they just throw them in the deep end and let them wither and struggle for six months. They do. And then what happens is the leaders in that organization get upset at the recruiting department. Why didn't you get us good candidates? Why didn't right. you get us good people? We see this on the customer side too. Hey, marketing and sales, we've got to get a new campaign. We're losing customers. We need to do a better job of pre-screening and pre-vetting. No, you need to do a better job of delivering on all the promises you made during the sales process, whether that's selling a customer or selling an employee. Someone has to be responsible for that once the person officially signs as being part of your team or wanting to work with you. If we look at the data, if we look at the amount of organizations and what they define as onboarding, the problem I see it, and I'm a words guy, right? I'm a recovering lawyer and words matter. The words we use matter. And lots of organizations think they have an onboarding program for new employees. I'm sorry, you don't. You have an right. orientation agenda. <laughs> And it usually lasts one or two days. I'm sorry, do you want them to stay longer than one or two days? Then don't you think you should be willing to invest more than one or two days? Most organizations, when I look at their orientate, what they call their onboarding agenda, which again is really an orientation agenda, it looks something like this. Show up at work and there's no one there to greet you. You tell reception, oh, I'm the new employee. I'm starting today. Oh, great. Hang on while I get the someone not a person, someone from HR. 
That person unexpectedly rolls into the waiting room a few minutes later and says, oh, yes, right, congratulate, come with me to this conference. Oh, wait, that one's being used. Oh, let's go to this other conference room. Okay, come on in here. We've got some videos to show you and some paperwork for you to complete. Here's all the paperwork. I'm going to go ahead and press play on this video, and I'll be back around lunch to pick you up. It's so true. That has literally happened to me. Yeah. Yes. The reason this hypothetical is so powerful is because so many of your listeners, you it sounds like, and me included, have had that exact same experience. Yeah. And then so you get done with the first day. You know, lunch usually looks like gathering with a bunch of people who didn't know they were having lunch with you, aren't excited (laughs) about having lunch with you. They're excited to get a free meal that they can expense to their employer, who then proceed to have a bunch of insider baseball conversations with each other about things that you don't even know about. And then you get sent back to that conference room. And again, the HR person comes in and is like, okay, so now, you know, we were going to hand you off to your new manager, but it turns out they're not in the office today. So um, here's some other videos for you to watch. (laughs) And if you just want to go home early today, we'll see you back tomorrow. And by then your manager should be able to be here and take care of things. So then that new employee goes home and when they walk in the door, they're greeted by their spouse, their children, their roommate, someone, maybe they get on the phone to mom and dad, depending on where they are in their career. And the first thing that all of those loved ones, their inner circle asked them is, how was your first day? <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It's like, well, I didn't do anything. To which the answer is a nightmare. Yeah. A nightmare. And I think too, I, I maybe it was on Instagram, somebody posted it, but you know, when you join a new company, it's kind of like being a senior in high school, right? And then you go and you start over being a freshman again. You know nobody. You're kind of scared. You don't know the clicks. Again, I didn't even have people to eat lunch with me. They just, I was in a different country. And after I was in that room watching the videos, it was like one o'clock and I'm starving. And I said, should I go get lunch? And they're like, oh yeah, you can walk around, you know, this random city in, in Canada and figure it out. I was like, okay, you know, I mean, so I didn't even have people taking me to lunch, but I think it is. I think you have to treat those new employees as freshmen. You know, it's their first day of school, no matter what big job that they had at the organization before they joined yours, they're still going to feel a little insecure and a little lost. And that's incredibly uncomfortable for people to not know who to go to for things. Elizabeth, I totally agree. At the end of the day, humans are humans. We all want to feel like we matter. We all want to feel like we belong. We all want to feel like we're special. And when we show up at a new job with an expectation that we're going to be able to contribute value, with an expectation that we're going to be part of a mission that's bigger than ourselves, with the expectation that we'll be able to have some impact, and we arrive to find that people didn't even know we were coming, or they didn't care that we were coming. Imagine inviting, take this out of a business context. Imagine inviting a new neighbor who's just moved into the neighborhood to come to your house for dinner. And they show up and they knock on the door. 
and someone in your family answers the door half-dressed. Oh, we didn't even know you. Well, I guess, I mean, come on in and join us. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to be having this uh, giant peanut butter dinner. Oh, you're allergic to nuts? Oh, sorry. Um, well, we, we might have like some crackers somewhere that you can eat. And uh, just help yourself. Like the pantry's over there. Um, the bathroom's down the hall. And, you know, we're doing some other stuff. But just take a seat at the dining room table. And, you know, we'll be in in a while to join you. That's insane. And yet that's how so many businesses operate. The siloing between recruiting and HR and the hiring managers and the people who will actually be the coworkers and the colleagues of this new employee. It's so differentiated and so siloed between all those groups that the handoffs look like batons being thrown on the ground as opposed to carefully handed to the next person in the race. So I feel like this common thread between your books and, and please fast track that book. We need that book like now. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing lose. my best. I'm doing my best to get it out. Yeah, and I know, but I think it's, it's this idea of like really seeing each other and seeing value in each other. It's the same, whether it's an employee or a customer or a spouse or a child at the end of the day, we all just want to feel to your point, like we matter, like we're safe and like we're valued. And the only way to do that is to make an investment in the time that we spend getting to know each other and doing those extra little things to make people really feel that way. And we can't do that by, you know, just liking their Instagram pictures or when it's convenient or when we need something from them. It really has to be a commitment that you make and that you follow through on really with some consistency. Absolutely. You know, I believe that all humans really are searching for three things, especially in an employer-employee relationship. The employee wants to be seen. They want to be heard and they want to be appreciated. Now, many of our listeners yeah. may be familiar with those three words, but with your permission, allow me to define them a little bit. Seen means Please. that when we show up in the room, we are acknowledged. We're ready for that person. We see them as the unique individual who has decided to grace our organization with their presence and their contribution. We recognize the value that they have, and we are open and excited to incorporate that into our business. Second, heard. There is a space created for that employee to actually voice their perspective their ideas. You know, most employers look at new onboarding as, uh, how quickly can we get them to do it our way? How quickly can we teach them right. our way of operating? Instead, we should look at these new employees as gifts from the heavens, gold, because they don't have the conditioned bias that our other employees have. They're coming to the table with new eyes, with new perspectives. The smartest organizations in the world that I know go out of their way with their new hires at the end of the first week, the second week, the third week, the fourth week, all the way up to the hundredth day saying, what happened at work this week that you thought, boy, it's weird the way they do that. Or, oh, that's not the way yeah. I think we should do it. Or why is it that they believe this? Get those answers before folks have been indoctrinated into your culture, and you will have much clearer insight as to what's going on. The third piece in this process is employees want to feel 
appreciated. And it's not enough to think of the paycheck as the appreciation we're showing. That is the cost of doing business. Those are the Annie up chips to sit down at the poker table with them. Appreciation means words of affirmation. It means letting that person know specifically with concrete language what their contribution to the organization is resulting in. We need to acknowledge those people. We need to thank them for their investment of time, effort, hard work, ideas, perspective. We need our employees to never have a moment of doubt about whether or not they are valued. Now, here's the thing. I'm under no false illusion that this is a difficult task. But to your point earlier, Elizabeth, this isn't just the responsibility of the human resources department. This is the responsibility of everyone in the organization to see their coworkers, to hear their coworkers, to appreciate their coworkers. And when you create this type of culture in your organization, recruiting and retention are no longer difficult because everybody who works there loves working there and wants to tell the world and all of their friends to come work there too. Yeah. And, you know, this is me telling the world how much I appreciate your book and your insights and your podcast and all of the content that you really lovingly share a lot of times for free with people. And honestly, I feel like any one of your books could be titled, you know, how to never lose a customer, a client, a relationship, a spouse, an employee, like all of these things. I think that you know, they're applicable to all of the relationships in your life. It could be a best friend. It could be an estranged family member. All of these things apply. So I really urge you guys check out Joey Coleman. Be sure to listen to the podcast and pick up his book, uh, Never to Lose a Customer Again and the forthcoming Never Lose an Employee Again. I thank you so much for your time today, Joey. I think that you shared really incredible insights that people can use not only professionally, but in their everyday life and with all of their loving relationships. Oh, thank you so much, Elizabeth. I greatly appreciate being on the show. And thanks to all of you that you were that were listening in. I hope there were one or two takeaways at least that you can apply in your business as an employer, as an employee, or as Elizabeth said, even just in your relationships with people you love so that you can continue to deepen those connections in a personal and emotional way. So thanks so much for listening. 